Today we'll be in 1 Kings chapter 21, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. 1 Kings 21. These are an interesting two chapters. I was going to try to combine those just to finish up the book, but um, next week we're going to be dealing with God sending a lying spirit, which is going to take some time to talk about. So uh, we want to spend some time in 21 only today, and uh, let's pray before we get started. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive, very relevant. Um, It's for us, to lead us, to guide us. It's the sword of your Holy Spirit in our lives. And so we receive everything you have for us this morning ahead of time. We want to just submit our hearts to you right now, that whatever your word has to say, whatever you have to say to us, we want to receive it with gladness. We know that the person that receives your word with gladness will be blessed. And we definitely want that. Whether that's a rebuke or an encouragement, we want whatever you have for us, because we know you're always looking out for our best interests. And so, God, we receive it this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to be in your word in a country that allows us to freely worship you in spirit and truth, where so many in this world don't, they don't have that. And so we don't take that for granted. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A couple announcements before we get into this chapter. Um, Tonight at 6 o'clock, JC and Tanner will be going live here just on the same uh, setup that we have for the youth that will be ages 11 to 12. But really anybody can watch and encourage you to do so. We feel like the kids have been missing out as well. They don't want to maybe necessarily tune into me. They'd rather hear their teachers. And so um, this is placed on their hearts to do. And so we're going to we're gonna, uh, do that tonight at 6 o'clock. Um, for those of you who are listening to the audio message here uh, and not the Facebook Live, uh, we believe, and I think we're working on getting the information on the fact that you don't have to have a Facebook account to tune in to us live anymore. Facebook suspended that. Um, so you just Google... Uh, CC Maryville Live uh, Facebook, and it'll pull it up for you is, is what we're hoping, and you'll be able to watch that there without having an account. Also, uh, most of the ministries here uh, are all suspended until this is over with. Uh, we'll let you know. So for now, they're, uh, they're going to be postponed. We'd like to put it that way, the women's luncheon, the garage sale, anything else that's coming up in the future here is postponed, and we'll let you know the new dates and times for those uh, when we're free to give those out. All right, First Kings chapter 21, Naboth uh, is murdered for his vineyard. It's a strange real estate transaction. And uh, as we get into this, it's, it's important to see um, how carnal people can really get about things and how uh, we can pout when we don't get our way and, 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 and the danger that is for us in this life. And so... Um, in verse 1, and it came to pass after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel, next to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. So Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near next to my house, and for, it will give you, for I will give you a vineyard better than it, or if it seems good to you, I will give you its worth in money. So, that's the proposal. Nothing wrong with asking. Oh, can't hurt. Hey, I, I'd like to have vegetables close to my house. I think I'd like to buy your vineyard. But there's a big difference, as most people know, between a vineyard and a vegetable garden. Vineyards take years to cultivate, to get to the place where they're actually producing fruit and uh, fruit of good quality. 
in a vegetable garden, well, you can pretty much do that anywhere and you'll have a crop that year. And so there's a big difference. And um, Ahab's a little flippant about this. Um, I'd like your vineyard. Well, there's, there's a lot going on here. But he's certainly welcome to ask, and there's nothing wrong with that. The offer's put out, and uh, now the owner has to respond. And here's Naboth's response to Ahab. The Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. He took it kind of personally. It isn't about the vineyard. It isn't about whether it's close to you or not. It's, it's my dad's. It's my dad's ground, you know. I want to keep that. We live in that kind of part of the country here where uh, that's, that's my great-granddad's farm or that's, that's my cousin's farm. We, we, we take a lot of stock in that. It's not just a house on a, on a piece of dirt someplace. It's, it's very personal to us. We're grounded. We're, we, we have roots here. And this Naboth feels the same way about this. So his response is, no, no, this is my dad's. So Ahab went into his house, sullen and displeased, Because of the word which Naboth, the Jezreelite, had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. Um, Not exactly the kind of response you'd expect from a king. um, But this is his response. This shows us his character. Shows us what kind of guy this really is. Um, Remember his wife. Ahab's wife is Jezebel. Um, she is very much the one pulling the strings. She's the one behind the curtain. She is the power of this couple. Ahab has the title, but she is definitely running the show. And so her husband, this Ahab guy, shows himself for who he is. He's, he's a toddler. He's a baby. I remember uh, I was working for Pella Windows years ago up in Omaha and uh, went into a house and was working on a window and um, kind of a fly on the wall in that home as I listen to what's going on around me, the family dynamics, you know, I'm just trying to focus on my job, but uh, in comes this big teenage guy. I mean, he was a football player, must've been a junior or senior, but he was six foot six to 200 plus pounds in high school, you know, with his girlfriend and they had come in and sat on the couch and they were talking. It was just normal. And the kid seemed really responsible and, um, just a normal guy, you know, a pretty good kid he looked like. And then his mom came in. Uh, it was her house, obviously, and he was on the couch with his girlfriend. And she, uh, he had asked, Mom, can I take the car and go do this? And she says, no, I'm going to need the car today. And this six foot six, 200-pound senior, probably, uh, football player, threw the biggest fit I've ever seen. It was so embarrassing to watch this kid melt down like a toddler at Walmart in front of me, in front of his girlfriend. His girlfriend was just watching like this is normal stuff. It's amazing what a little adversity in our lives kind of brings to the surface what maybe we don't see or anybody else sees normally. Um, I want my Christian walk to be real. I want to know what it's like when the, the grass is green But I also want to know what it's like when it's fiery and hot and there's a trial in the midst of my life. I want to know how I'll respond. Um, I want to know if I'm going to respond with boldness, with courage, with bravery, with, uh, with intestinal fortitude for my God, or will I shrink and, and shrivel? Um, I want to know that. And, And the only way we know that is if adversity comes our way. So this guy simply asks for a, a vineyard and a, a garden place and wants to buy the vineyard. The guy says, a simple no, you, you can't have it. And he throws a fit. This, isn't, this is a 
an old man. I mean, this is a, an adult laying on the floor or laying on his bed, not eating, turning his face away, a, doing a full-on tantrum. So in, in comes mommy. Actually, it's his wife, Jezebel. And here's what she says. Verse 5, But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? What's going on, honey? Why are you down? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite, and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else, if it pleases you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. That's what happened. I'm trying not to put a pouty face on when I read that, but boy, it's hard not to see this all shake down as she's sitting on the edge of his bed, rubbing his little back there, saying, what's wrong, honey? What a miserable existence for a wife. I throw that out there because no wife wants to have to do that to their husband. Husband, why are you throwing a, a fit? Why are you acting like a child? Because I, di I didn't get my way. Well, that's going to be okay. See, she married a husband to be a man, not another child in her life. And how disappointing for her. And so you can almost see why Jezebel is the way she is. Um, I wouldn't say this is marriage counseling 101. Maybe this is maybe a, a 400 class. But if I want my wife to treat me with respect and to acknowledge the fact that I'm leading the home and, and maybe come alongside and help, I need to be a leader. When I give up those responsibilities, and I act like maybe this Ahab does, and I'm not someone that she can rely on for strength and um, someone who's solid in her life, she will naturally take on those attributes because she needs to. You're not doing what you need to do. Somebody has to do this, and so I will. And all of a sudden, we see these roles reversed or these, um, these things that we weren't meant to carry placed upon our shoulders. Now, I'm not Excusing Jezebel, she's crazy, and we're going to see that here in a minute. She's absolutely lost her mind. But it doesn't help that Ahab is the way he is. Um, it almost produces in her the worst part of her. So she says, why aren't you eating food? Because he said this to me, verse 7, Then Jezebel, his wife, said to him, You now exercise authority over Israel. Arise, eat food, and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. And she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, and sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who were dwelling in the city with Naboth. And she wrote in the letters, saying, and here's what she wrote in these letters in her husband's name, Proclaim a fast, and seat Naboth with high honor among the people. And seat two men, scoundrels, before him to bear witness against him, saying, You have blasphemed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him that he may die. Pretty extreme for a, a vegetable garden, but boy, this is one crazy couple. She tells her husband, Don't worry about it. You go ahead and rise and eat. Do, don't you exercise authority over Israel? Aren't you the guy in charge? We can just make this happen, whether he wants it to happen or not. So instead of invoking an imminent domain, they go ahead and decide to take out the owner. And she's got a plan. Now, she can't do it in her own name. She's going to do it in the king's name so that it has some authority behind it. She's going to slander him. She's going to slander this man for the sake of a vineyard, for the sake of a piece of ground. People will go to great extremes to get what they want. When you're a carnal person, when there is a carnal person in your life, um, they'll go to great extremes. Now, this is all politics, and 
A lot of us like to say, well, I, I like to stay out of politics. Well, the interesting thing about it as a Christian that you need to know, God doesn't stay out of politics. God is very much going to get involved here. Um, and so when God is interested in these things, so am I. I like to pay attention. Now, what's God going to do with this? Is he going to stop this plan? Is he going to thwart it? Sometimes in Scripture, God does. He steps in and he stops the plan. He, he doesn't let it go on. He doesn't let bad things happen to good people. On the other hand, he's going to let this one happen. But he's going to use it to further what he needs to happen, what he wants to take place um, in the history of, of the world. And so he's going to do this and let this happen. So she's got this idea. Let's set him up. Tell him, accuse him of blaspheming God and the king. Since one of these people worried about God, and they are talking about the right God, the true and living God, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they are talking about him. Accuse him of blaspheming that God, because he's sure that the people will then justify going ahead and, and stoning him. If it was one of the little G's, they weren't so sure. For, for now, they've lost their power base. Remember when Elijah took all those prophets of Baal and, and, and killed them after, the, after Mount Carmel and the incident up there, which you can read a couple chapters back. They've lost their power there, and so they're, they're just hitching their wagon or hitching themselves to the next wagon. They're, they're going ahead and let this true and living God be the God of Israel, um, and we'll use it to our advantage. They'll, they'll do whatever it takes. And so they're going to invoke the name of the true and living God to justify the murder of this man. What a dangerous place to put yourself in, to find yourself justifying what you want and invoking the name of God to do so. And they'll do that. So they're going to slander him. Verse 11. So the men of this city, of his city, the elders and nobles who were inhabitants of his city, did as Jezebel had sent to them, as it is written in the letters which she had sent to them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth with high honor among the people. And two men, scoundrels, came in and sat before him. And the scoundrels witnessed against him, against Naboth, in the presence of of the people saying, Naboth has blasphemed God and the king. And they took him outside and stoned him with stones so that he died. Then they sent to Jezebel saying, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. Everybody's involved in this. Everybody knows the plan. It's written out there clearly in the letters. All the elders of Israel are on board. The entire system is completely corrupted. Now, they know the people. The people will respond. And so from top down, they set up this plan to slander this man. And they accept that plan as their own. It's hard not to draw comparisons to what's going on today in our political spectrum and what's gone on in the past 20 years in our country. It's hard not to see supernatural moments where God seems to have stepped in to stop this or let this happen. Strange things that don't normally happen, you know, happening right in front of our eyes. It's hard not to draw that comparison and see that this is what we see here happening in Israel. God is doing all over the world at different places, different kings rising and then being let down and set down. Different things happening in our country and in all other countries as God puts people in power and takes people out of power as he sees them and gives them the opportunity to do what's right and to lead justly, and then when they don't, taking them out. Um, we see this happening all the time. And so when you see this taking place behind the scenes, you kind of wonder, well, what kind of justice is there? Well, God is seeing all this. He's watching all this. 
He's letting it all unfold in this situation. And he's going to come in and he's going to judge. He's going to make sure that everybody's held accountable to this. They're not going to get away with it, although most of the world thinks they have. In fact, the entire world here so far in this chapter is complicit in this scheme. Some of them unknowingly, but some of them very much know exactly what's going on. The letters have said so. I'm amazed how quickly they're all on board. No one challenges it. Nobody wants to go against the queen. Nobody wants to go against the king. Nobody's willing to take a stand except Elijah, and he will here in a minute as a prophet of God. So the corruption is from the top down. It's all the way through, and it's going to work, and it did work. They proclaim a fast. It's supposed to be a holy time, a time of seeking the Lord, a time where the nation seeks the Lord and does what they're supposed to do. It's a, it's a, it's a state-sanctioned fast. And they put him in the place of honor. They set him up as this is in honor of Naboth. And then they set the two scoundrels there. The whole thing's a complete setup. I, I know we know that, but it's interesting what people will use to go ahead and bring somebody down. In verse 15, and it came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money. For Naboth is not alive, but dead. And so it was. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab got up and went down to take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. This guy's happy as a clam. Doesn't even care. Doesn't even look at his wife funny. You did what? Well, I killed the guy that owned your vegetable garden. It's all yours. Go ahead and take it. He's happy with it. Boy, what a, what a great wife I have to have manipulated my way to be done. Horrible. Horrible. They're peas in a pod, these two. Now, the Lord sees this. He's been watching this whole thing unfold. And so now, through all this deception, through all this slander and corruption, God steps in with his man and decides to speak the truth. Now, people don't want to hear the truth, but they don't want to be lied to at the same time. So they want their lie to be the truth. It's interesting how this will play out next week as we get into chapter 22, when God sends a lying spirit. And I think this helps us to understand chapter 22. To teach chapter 22 is supposed to be a difficult thing. It's a, it's a hard thing to get your mind around that God would send a lying spirit. God can't lie. How can this be? It, it almost throws a wrench into a lot of people's faith, but it shouldn't. Look how we're being set up here with 21. These people want what they want, and they want people to lie to them about it and are willing to lie about things in order to get what they want. Now, the man of truth steps on the scene here in chapter uh, 21, verse 17, Elijah, but they don't want to hear it. So which is it? Do you want me to tell you the truth from God? Or do you want me to tell you a lie to make you feel good, but not know the future and not know what's going to happen to you? A lot of pastors have taken that route. How do I get people to come in my doors? Because every time I talk about the truth, every time I talk about what's going to happen, how these things go down, the book of Revelation, they're afraid to teach it because if that's true, if it's real, we're in a lot of trouble. There's a lot of sin that needs to be talked about in those letters to the churches, those seven letters. There's a lot of things that need to be dealt with in my life and in your life. There's a lot of things that we need to confess to. There's a lot of things that we need to let Jesus forgive us for by confessing those things. There's a lot of things. 
but people don't want to hear it a lot of times. And so in order to get people to come in, they're willing to push that away and to say what people want to hear. In fact, we're warned about that, that in the last days, people will heap up for themselves teachers because they have itching ears. Not unlike Ahab and Jezebel here. I want to hear what I want to hear. I don't want to hear about my condition. I don't want to hear about the things that need to change in my life. I, I want to hear good things, encouraging things, positive things. In fact, one of our biggest radio stations in the nation is positive and encouraging. Not everything's positive and encouraging. Some of it's a rebuke, an admonition. A change needs to take place. A revelation needs to happen in our hearts and in our minds to make us closer to God. Be holy for I am holy. We read a couple people here, Ahab and Jezebel, that don't want the truth, but they're going to hear it because they've got one man here, Elijah, in the whole country that's willing to preach it and say it because that's what God tells him to say. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. That's God's message for him. Now, I wish there was a positive and encouraging message that Elijah could bring, but that would be a lie. That wouldn't tell Ahab what he needs to know about his current situation with God, where he stands with the Lord. We've got to know where we stand. Everybody has to know where they stand with God, honestly. Not everybody's saved. Not everybody goes to heaven. A lot of people say that. We're all children of God. Not if you're not adopted into his family. If you're not born again, if you haven't trusted in Jesus for your salvation, you're not. And you're not going to heaven. You need to know that. We need to know that. We need to acknowledge that in our lives. I have not made God my Savior and Lord of my life. I've not chosen Him. I've chosen my own life. I've adopted the philosophy of Christianity, but I've never made Jesus King. I've never made Him Lord. He's going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. We need to know that. The world needs to know that. It's, it's eternity at stake here. It's not about how they feel about you or how they feel about me. It's what has to be said so that eternity is secure for them so they can go to heaven. There's no way people can accept the good news of salvation if they don't know what they're saved from. And our society and Christianity, churches, are systematically removing the requirements for the cross in someone's life. Why do I need the cross? Why do I need saved? From what? The church says everything I do is okay. All the sin in my life is okay. Nobody tells me anything. I I sing some pleasant songs. I get a positive, encouraging message. I've never known my need for a savior. People need to know they're drowning before they get back in a boat. They're not going to accept that life ring from a lifeguard unless they know that they're drowning, that there is no hope outside of them, outside of that ring that's offered to them. Jesus offers that salvation. He offers that forgiveness of sin at the cross. Jesus took our wrath intended for us, God's wrath intended for us, on the cross. What wrath? For what? Well, the Bible tells us for what. 
All of those sins that are mentioned in the scripture, that's what he died for. Everything that's not holy in our lives, that's what he died for. We need to know what those things are. And I'll tell you why here. Verse 20, so Ahab, after he gets his positive, encouraging message from Elijah, said to Elijah, have you found me, O my enemy? That's how he feels. It's one verse. I think you should underline it and circle it in your Bibles. Have you found me, O my enemy? Is Elijah his enemy? Feels like it to him. Ahab feels like he's being attacked. Ahab feels like this guy has nothing but evil to say towards me. He's never for me. He's never encouraging me. He's never positive. There's a reason for that, Ahab. God is at war with sin. God hates sin. That's the first thing we need to know about the Lord. He loves holiness. He loves beauty, perfection, all the fruit of the Spirit, gentleness, long-suffering, patience, kindness. He loves all those things, but he absolutely hates sin. Now, he's indifferent towards me until I take on one or the other of these attributes. When I start acting like God, that's a beautiful thing. I have fellowship with God on that side of things. That's where God and I relate. That's where we can talk to each other, have fellowship. I read his word. It's positive, encouraging to me. But when I fill my life with sin, the scriptures and preachers that preach the truth can often feel like the enemy, like they're attacking. I mean, every time I go to church, I feel so convicted. I don't feel loved. Well, if I filled my life with sin that God hates, it's hard to feel that love because all that God loves is gentleness, long-suffering, patience, kindness, goodness, joy. When those are in my life, we have great fellowship. We get along. But when sin is in my life and it's permeated my life and I refuse to repent again, turn away from it, it's easy to feel like Ahab does here because every message seems to be hitting me in the heart. Every message seems to be tearing me down. But that is the first step in rebuilding is they have to be broken down. There has to be some demolition that takes place. If God wants to rebuild your life and you want him to rebuild your life, we've got to get rid of all the other false foundations that you've built your life upon. And that can be painful sometimes. Sometimes God will remove things that you thought were rock solid and cannot be removed. You take that out and I'll fall and I'll collapse into a million pieces. That may be exactly what needs to happen. We can only build a life with God on top of the foundation of Jesus Christ. That has to be the foundation. He will not add the brick of Jesus Christ to your foundation. That's not how it works. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He is the foundation. He's the rock upon which we stand. And if we're not standing upon that to start with, he cannot build. And so it may seem rough when God's talking to you. It may seem like Elijah is always against you or the word of God is always against you. But understand what he's trying to do. You asked me, God says, to change your life, to govern your life, to make it holy, to give you joy, long-suffering, patience, peace, kindness, all these wonderful things that are just such a blessing to you. But I can't give you those things until we build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ first. Many people try. Many people try to build all those things and add those things to their life. If I just send positive thoughts, you can't send positive thoughts to people. They don't go out through the universe. We saw a ridiculous 
Thanksgiving given on national TV where the person said, oh, thank you, universe. What planet responded? What stars? What being is this that they're praying to? What universe is it that's their mother? It's all part of creation, and they're worshiping the creation as opposed to the creator, someone who stands outside of space and time and matter, someone who steps outside of the universe and created it and made it, and they're, they're missing the point. They're worshiping grass and trees and planets and stars, and they're governing their lives by these things. And God says, no, it's me. You need to look just a little bit higher than the universe, a little bit further than the stars above you and see the creator. Ahab needs to see the creator. Have you found me, O my enemy? I'm not your enemy. Your sins have made me your enemy because I hate your sin. In James chapter 4, verse 4, James, a wonderful brother who tells us, you know what, I don't want you to be hearers of the word, but doers, says this, Adulterers and adulteresses, and he's not just talking about physical, he's talking about spiritual as well. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You can't have it both ways. I can't have it both ways. We have to trust the Lord. We have to be a friend of God. We've got to be a friend of God, not a friend of the world. We can be in the world, but don't be of the world. We want to impact this world. We want to be a Christian influencer. I know that's a new thing that I'm learning. It's been around forever. They're a, a, a social media influencer. I'm learning what those people are, and I, I get it. I know why they call them that. But as a Christian man who walks on this earth, I want to be an influencer for Christ. I want to do things like this that we're doing here this morning. I want to be this at Sutherland's when I go to pick up building materials or when I go to the grocery store or when I'm looking at someone through the shield now at the checkout. I want to be an influencer. I want to bring joy and peace and comfort to them, not fear, you know. Ahab has to hear the truth, but when he hears the truth, all he hears is God is against me. And he answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself. This is Elijah answering him. Have you found me, O my enemy? And Elijah answers, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring calamity on you. I will take away your posterity. I will cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam and the son of Nabat and like the house of Basha and the son of Ahijah. Because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. I'm doing all this and saying all this because of your leadership. The way you've led this nation against me. And I take offense to that. And I'm calling you on it. A lot of us think that when God doesn't call us on our sin, that maybe it's okay. Maybe he condones it. That's not the truth. He doesn't condone it. He will confront it one day. Maybe now maybe in a week, maybe in a year, maybe in a decade, maybe when you're dead. But he will call you on it. He'll call me on it. Now, he's calling him on it here on purpose while he's alive. He doesn't wait. He's not like, this guy's a lost cause. I'm going to wait till he dies, and, and then I'll confront him with his sin, and the books will be open, and he'll be judged. He decides to give him his judgment now. Here's what's going to happen to you because of what you've done. He lets him know. And concerning Jezebel... The Lord also spoke, saying, The dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. 
The dogs shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. But there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord, because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. Now that may be Jezebel's fault. She's just that kind of woman, brings out the worst in him. But it's also Ahab's fault for being able to be stirred up. It's my job to make sure that Satan can't stir me up. It's my job that I recognize when Satan's trying to push my buttons so that I get into the flesh and respond inappropriately, not like a Christian, not like a son of God, but that I act like a carnal son of Satan. And it's up to me to make sure that I don't respond that way, to recognize when the flesh is being pressed. And then I fight against that and I pray and I surrender my will over to the Holy Spirit in my life and walk in the spirit that I don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Jezebel had a way of pushing her husband's button. She could manipulate him into doing what she wanted to do. She was truly the puppeteer in his life. And he did so much at her bidding that God steps in here and says, you're the worst king I've ever seen. And he behaved very uh, abominably in following idols according to all that the Amorites had done, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. In other words, they're doing just what the people did before them when they crossed over the Jordan to take over the land, the Canaan, the land of Canaan. They were evicted out of that land. These Canaanites were evicted because of the sin they were committing against God. And so he brought in his people, his chosen people, Israel, to be his people and for him to be their God and for the world to see that example of what it looks like of a people group worshiping him, and that all the nations would come and worship him. That's what his hope was. But now they're no better than the Canaanites. They're looking just like them. So it was, when Ahab heard those words, that he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his body and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about mourning. That is not how I thought that story was going to go. He repents. Are you my enemy? Here comes my enemy. You found me. But as he hears the truth, it penetrates. It causes Ahab to actually repent. Not just go away sad and lay on his bed again, because God won't let him do what he wants to do, but he truly debases himself. Puts on sackcloth and ashes, which is inappropriate for a king. He sits on a throne. He has a crown. He has robes. He's recognized. He's famous. He's an influencer. We can be an influencer either way. He is being an influencer. He's got his sackcloth and ashes on, and he's on his knees before God asking for forgiveness. This is a good thing. This is not how I thought it would go. Verse 28, And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me. Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his day, the taking away of his posterity, the removing him from power, and not letting any of his kids rule after him. I won't do that in his day because he's humbled himself. I will not bring the calamity in his day. In the days of his son, I will bring the calamity on his house. Now, the son isn't sinless. He's not reaping the benefits of his father's sin. You'll hear that a lot sometimes, the teaching of generational sins and our generational curses. Um, And that's just not a biblical teaching at all. Um, But there are sins that we can pick up from our parents or from relatives of the past, and we can continue on in those things if they've never been corrected in our family history. We can take on attributes of our family. Um, And that's our hope as Christian parents is that our kids are better than us. 
um, that they don't take on those attributes that we can clearly see reflected in them and we wish we didn't see in them. Um, we hope that they do better and that their generation does better, that their kids do better. We get closer and closer to the Lord. And so that's a, this is an example of that. Dad has, has humbled himself before the Lord. Now his son, it's going to happen to him because his son's going to be evil too. I mean, it's, it's just his own son's decisions. And that's where we close today. It seems like a bad place to stop. I wanted to do chapter 22, but we don't have time because 22 really is an excellent chapter to end on in first, in first Kings. God sends the lying spirit. And I, I want you to read ahead. Um, I want you to prepare for next week's message because it's, it's for a lot of people, it's going to blow their minds. This isn't how I thought God was. This isn't what I thought he was. This isn't what I was taught that he was. Um, and that's why we go through the whole counsel of God. When we're done with chapter 22 of first Kings, we're going to go right into second Kings chapter one. And we march our way through scripture because we want to know everything about God. I don't want to hit the high points. I don't want to hit the big stories, the ones that are impactful, that have uh, pre-printed coloring pages ready for them. I want to know chapter 21 and 22. 21 and 22 are some of those chapters that are almost throwaways for the most part. In a lot of people's thinking, well, what is a, who cares about a garden? And who cares about a lying spirit? That's just a weird text. I don't want to study it anyway. Let's just move on to good stuff like Goliath. I understand that one. And the Garden of Eden and the tree that they ate from. I understand that one. You know, these are almost throwaway chapters. But as I look at the church today, and, and, and I'm in it, I'm a part of it. I don't exclude myself from that. I know I've got my own problems. But I see how important these two chapters are for the church, especially today. As, as, we, as we don't go through God's word completely and we only hit the spots we like, positive, encouraging messages, we don't see that God can step in and send a lying spirit. That's foreign to us. That can't be true. That's got to be a, a mistake. Let's just not teach it. No, it's really important to see God. If you don't want to know the truth and all you want to hear is what you want to hear, then I'll let you hear that. God says, week after week, I'll let you hear what you want to hear. But if you want to hear what I have to say, God would say, I'll be glad to tell you. But these two people, Ahab and Jezebel and the rest of the nation, they don't want to hear the truth. And so God is going to send a lying spirit to them. And in the midst of this lying spirit, he's actually going to tell them, I'm lying. I'd tell you the truth, but you don't want to hear it. In fact, they suspect that he's lying. I don't think you're telling me the truth. He goes, you're right, I'm not. Do you really want to know the truth? Because if you want to know the truth, I'll tell it to you, but then you're going to kill me, and then you're going to hate me and think that I'm against you and I'm your enemy. It's just an amazing chapter. And, and I've already got you all teed up for it next week. It'll be hard to not uh, read it and study it and get into it. So good, go for it. Read it, study it, get into it. Um, examine it. Read it several times, three or four times this week, because... Next Sunday is going to be amazing. I don't like this. Um, I'm glad we can do it. I appreciate the fact that we can Facebook Live and do this, and you're in your homes. And I like the fact that you're in your jammies. I like the fact that you're having your coffee and sitting there with an Afghan or you know a blanket wrapped over your um, your legs. I think that's great. I thought what a great way to to hang out with the Lord. Um, I enjoy that. But I can't wait for you all to be back too. 
where we can all be together and uh, have a potluck and eat together and, and fellowship and shake hands again and hug and pray with one another in person, you know. I'm looking forward to that. So I miss you, and I know you miss each other, and I love the comments you guys are giving online. Everybody's reading those things when you, when, you, when you list those things out. When you write a comment, other people can see that. So go for that. Continue to do that. Um, and and uh, hopefully this will be over soon. That's our prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this chapter 21. Um, it's just a vegetable garden. It's just a vineyard, and yet so much is revealed in the hearts of these two leaders, Ahab and Jezebel, and so much is revealed in our hearts. But we don't want to hear positive encouraging all the time. I mean, we take that any day. But we also want the truth. Don't ever, Lord, forsake the truth in our lives because you think that's what we want to hear. We want to hear everything you have for us. When your word says, be holy for I am holy, we want that in our lives. We want you to reveal yourself to us. We want to see who you are, what you like, what you don't like. And we want, to, we want to emulate that. We want that. We want to remove those things in our lives that are not pleasing to you. And we want to add those things to our lives that are pleasing to you. We want to be saved, of course, from our sin. We want to go to heaven, but we also want to live in that fellowship with you now. I don't want to wait till heaven to have fellowship with you. I want that right now. And I know that fellowship takes place in obedience, and I want that. So God, thank you for this chapter. Thank you for all the dogs eating people and the blood being licked up, all those strange pictures that come to our gross pictures. But it shows us how serious this is, how seriously you take it. It isn't something we can gloss over, ignore, or skip this chapter. You've written this for our admonition to bring us closer to you. We thank you for that, God. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for being a good father that doesn't just try to be our friend all the time, but tells us what we need to know, that corrects us, that keeps us on that path, that shows us when we've strayed. Thank you for being a good father. Help us to be great ambassadors for you while we're down here. We do want to be positive, encouraging for people, but we also want to speak the truth. We want to speak it in love for their sake, that they might come to know you. So it help us to be those ambassadors for you this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a good week, guys.